0: Hello, Upper Room. Welcome to the Upper Room Podcast. This is Reward Sabanda. Yes, it is. This is Reward Sabanda. And we have an incredible word today coming from Pastor Lyle Phillips from Legacy Nashville. He had an incredible conversation about, first of all, shared a powerful testimony. And then what stuck out to me was just the conversation about the nets. What nets you're asking? Well, welcome. Listen in. Yes, they gotta listen, gotta listen in. <laughs> Enjoy this podcast. Enjoy the podcast. So you're looking at a miracle. You're looking at a miracle. And for more reasons than one. I shared this testimony last week with our church, but I should have died before I was three because of a heart condition. I did grow up in church and um, you know, took naps under the pew like a good church kid. I grew up Holiness Pentecostal. Anybody else in here grow up Holiness Pentecostal? Praise the Lord. Amen. You did, Jehoshaphat? You did? Well, praise the Lord, brother. Um, So in the little country churches that I grew up in, I'm from a village in West Kentucky called Sacramento. It was all hellfire and brimstone, you know. Like, every Sunday, you were reminded that you were going to hell. But there was some really cool stuff that happened in those little churches, despite some of the bad doctrine. Like, the Holy Ghost showed up all the time, and people got healed all the time. Truly. Like, I remember seeing people show up, my parents or pastors, to my little country church in the middle of a tobacco field, and they would receive healing from cancer. People were driving from three states away so that they could come and have these old country ladies that didn't know how to read, lay hands on them. And people with diagnosis of, man, you're eating up with cancer. There's no hope for you would go back to the doctor the following week and receive a fresh diagnosis of being cancer free. I, I grew up seeing that. I remember people with brain tumors coming back the Sunday after and the brain tumor had disappeared. I remember seeing people with um, lung cancer. I remember seeing people that had had aneurysms and strokes that the doctor said, they're not going to make it, come out of the hospital. I remember one weekend this guy who had just broken his arm in a boating accident on Saturday, get healed in the service on Sunday morning, go home, get a hacksaw out of his garage, cut his cast off and come back for the 11 a.m. service. He didn't have a certified doctor's report or anything. He was just a redneck. And we do stuff like that in West Kentucky. (laughs) And, you know, even though the church was a little bit weird and it was kind of crazy, there was an undeniable reality to those tiny country churches. And that was simply this. God was in the room. He's in the room. That's the only way I know how to articulate what it was that I experienced. How many of you guys know what the glory goosebumps are? When you're like, ooh, wow, okay, something just shifted in the atmosphere. I grew up in churches where it was like, okay, I have no clue what's going on. I don't know why they're preaching so loud, like they're wringing sweat out of their neckties. But like the Holy Spirit is in this room and I don't know what's going on, but I'm afraid to move a muscle because God is here. You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking those atmospheres that are so thick with the glory of God, it's like palpable. Like you breathe it in and it feels like you're in a sauna. Does anybody in here, have you ever experienced that before? You're like, oh, heaven is in the room. Like those are the atmospheres that I grew up in. And I, I remember watching my dad preach in brush arbors. Anybody know what a brush arbor is? No, I didn't. Yeah, It's a Kentucky thing, maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, But, you know, I grew up in the place of, like, tent meetings and camp revivals and country churches. And, like, we'd go do these brush arbors, which are open-air meetings. And there would be pews that my papaw would build. And there were no walls to the church. And we would just worship until after midnight. And the old ladies with the beehive hairdos would drop and roll. You ever heard of Holy Rollers? Like, those were my actual grandparents. Like, they would roll in the sawdust. And they would get so drunk in the that we thought they were out of their minds. I mean, they kind of were, but we would go up to them as kids and we were like, We didn't realize they could actually, you know, see and hear and talk and all of that. We just thought, man, they're out of their minds. So like I grew up in that atmosphere. So I knew that God was real. I knew that God was real. And I remember there was a prophet, get this, from Dallas, Texas. That came and spoke in my little country church in the middle of a tobacco field and he was walking down the aisles calling out people's driver's license numbers. And social security numbers and addresses and I remember sitting like somewhere over there drawing a picture of Vince Carter because I grew up playing basketball, so I drew pictures of basketball players. And I was pretending to ignore the glory goosebumps. I was like, nope, I don't feel it. Nope, God, I don't hear you. Nope, I'm not interested in church at all. I want to be an NBA basketball player. And you can tell I have the hype for that. So it was obvious as to why that was my dream. And so I was like, I'm going to be an NBA basketball player. I don't want any part of you, Jesus. And in the middle of my Vince Carter drawing, like the Holy Spirit spoke to me, stopped me dead in my tracks and said, you see what's happening here? This is what you're called to. You're going to go around the world. You're going to prophesy and preach with the power of God. You're called into ministry. I was 11 years old. I said, Absolutely not, God. Absolutely not. There is no way I will ever do this. I will never, ever, ever be a pastor. You better believe I'm never going to be a preacher because preachers are broke. <laughs> I, that was, I'm just being honest. That's what I told the Lord when I was 11. And by the time I was 12, I was so checked out mentally of church that despite the fact I did feel the goosebumps, I never participated in anything. I was the PK that was on the back row at church camp that their friends had to basically handcuff and drag to the front and shout in tongues over for two hours before I'd shed a tear. You know those kids? That was me. Like, too cool for school? No, I don't want none. Of this. I'm, I, don't, I ain't doing this. This is good for you. I ain't doing this. I'm going to play basketball. That was me. That was was my energy. And when I was like 14, 15, I started playing for Nike. I started traveling all over the United States. Ended up playing for the Kentucky Elite All Stars. Ray John Rondo was my teammate. Hey, he plays for the Lakers now, but I root against them in Jesus' name because I root for Steph Curry. You know why? Because he's a spirit filled Christian. God bless you, Steph. So I was like, no, I'm going to be a basketball player. And as I got mixed up in the sports and further away from God, I started abusing drugs. I started partying when I was 16, you know, started popping pills, started smoking weed, started doing all that. And before I know it, it had devolved into a full-blown drug addiction. And by the time I was 17, I was kicked off my basketball team. I was a methamphetamine addict. I was a heroin addict. I was shooting up meth in this hand, shooting up heroin in the other Smoking so much weed that I was in a daze, popping pills constantly, almost overdosed three times. Ended up getting arrested more times than I can count until I got involved with some gang activity and people were doing drive-bys on my house. Now, I know you can't imagine that because you're seeing me here today like pretty cleaned up and you look kind of nice and you seem pretty kind and all of that. But listen, guys, I was the worst version of myself at 18 years old. I was living out of my car, an 87 box Chevy and i was selling crack cocaine out of my window that's what i was doing at 18 and can i tell you something great jesus never gave up on me it's a great it's a great thing you know there were nights i would you know i'd driving popping pills smoking weed in solitary confinement in jail in jail for 15 days in court again in drug rehab in treatment 30 days in a state hospital with mental patients. I'd lived there. That's where I lived. Jesus never left me. Even though I ignored everything he ever said to me, even though I said, no way, God, I had my own salvation plan. I said, one day I'll come home to you and that'll be when I'm 40 and then I will go to church and I will pay my tithe so that I can go to heaven when I die. That was my salvation plan. That was my own salvation plan. Seems pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? And then when I was 19, my best friend and my roommate ended up getting a house, but we didn't have any hot water. We were both crack dealers. And when I was 19, my best friend and my roommate got shot in a drug altercation, point blank range in the chest, and died on the pavement. My best friend. I mean, I, I know what it's, I know what the sound is like people shooting at you. I know what it's like to shoot at other people. Like this was my life before Jesus. Is this freaking you guys out at all? Did it go too deep too fast? Man, I'm sorry. Joe, get back. Joe, get up here. Bring the joy, bro. (laughs) And when I was 21 years old, you know, like the street life, like I'm in it, right? Like completely. Friends killed. I get a phone call every year about another friend of mine that's dead. Overdose. Killed. Car wrecks. Every year. Still, I'm, I'm 37. Still, every year. That was my friend group. And I'm 21 years old, and I'm pretending to go to college. Some of you guys have been there. <laughs> so that my parents would leave me alone, stop trying to talk to me about God. And in a house with no Christian paraphernalia whatsoever, no Bibles, no TBN, None of that. The Lord Jesus showed up. Now, the SWAT team had just kicked my friend's door down. So I thought they were coming to kick my door down because I was selling cocaine and had weed growing in the closet. And I shook out of my sleep and I watched as somebody walked past my window and I said, it's a SWAT team. I should just prepare myself. I'm going to go to jail. So I rushed to the window and I look out the blinds and no one's there. And I'm like, Somebody just passed by my window. And so I'm freaking out a little bit. I'm thinking I should go get my gun. And I walk to the peephole and I look out and no one's there. And I take a couple steps back from the door. And all of a sudden I feel the same eerie feeling that I used to feel in those small country churches. And got the glory goosebumps on the back of my neck. And then I realize that the SWAT team is not coming to arrest me. But Jesus is coming to arrest me. So I take a couple steps back and I'm like, (laughs) from the door, because I don't really know what's going to happen. And the voice of the Lord thundered in my spirit, wasn't audible, but it thundered in my spirit. And it said, he said, you're going to be dead or in prison in six months from now, unless you come home to me right now. And I remember I lifted my hands. Tears streamed down my face. And I had heard Acts chapter 2 verse 38 priests enough to know that the first thing that you need to do in order to get saved is repent. So I just started to repent of my sins. I said, Jesus, you can have my life. Jesus, I am so sorry. I repent for running from you all of these years. Please forgive me. Please forgive me for being abusive towards my own parents. Like, I beat my own mama up. Like, I was a terrible person. You got to understand, I wasn't just depressed. Yo, I was possessed with a bunch of demons. I was not my own person in my own head. I was in a mental institution. They diagnosed me as schizophrenic and put me on medication. Like, I'm shooting up heroin just to try to figure out how to think clearly. I said, Lord, forgive me. I've ran from you. I've been abusive to my own parents. I've been abusive to my own brothers. I'm the oldest of four boys. I said, I give my life to you. I give my life to you. My whole life belongs to you. I got up, I went to the cabinet, grabbed all the cocaine I had, flushed it down the toilet, picked up my phone, called my friend that was holding all my money. I said, Hey, bring my money tomorrow, bro. I'm done. He said, what happened? So I had an encounter with Jesus. He said, what are you smoking? I'm not smoking anything. What'd you take? I didn't take anything. What'd you do? I didn't do anything. I just went to sleep, and Jesus showed up in my apartment. And he told me in six months I was going to be dead or in prison unless I came home to him right now, so I decided that I'm coming home to him right now. So I repented of my sins, and I got saved. So tomorrow, (laughs) tomorrow... Bring me my money <laughs> because, and I, I ended up giving it all away, by the way, except for 250 bucks, which I stole from a drug dealer, with, which like two years ago, I found him on Facebook and I said, hey, bro, I don't know what's happening in your life, but I'm a preacher now and I stole $250 from you when we were dealing drugs together and I'm about to cash app you. This was like two years ago, Pastor Michael. But the Lord, the Holy Spirit conviction was eating me up. He said, you stole money from that guy. I said, Lord, it's for weed. He said, I don't care. Thou shalt not steal, return the money. (laughs) The The guy said, bro, like I'm happy you cleaned up. I'm actually a Christian now too. Like I go to church, like I got saved. I got a wife, I got kids so I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, uh, forgive us a, of our debts as we forgive our debtors. I was like, he don't care about 250. He's like, well, you can go ahead and run that 250 on him. <laughs> I said, bro, what's your Venmo? What's your Venmo? Let me return the years that the canker worm has eaten. So I sent it back to him. But I told my friend, I said, I'm going to go home, and here were my original commitments. Sorry, this is a long introduction. I said, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to make these commitments. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to be a good son, and I'm going to be a good big brother. That's what I'm going to do with my life. And that was my commitment. So I moved home, and I said, I'm going to go back doing my dream. I'm going to play college basketball. I was saved, but I wasn't converted. <laughs> I so I'm gonna go play bo- college basketball because that's my dream. But then I realized within a couple of months that wasn't the dream of God over my life as he reminded me of that prophet from Dallas, Texas, where you crazy people live who prophesied through the aisles of that little country church in the middle of a tobacco, said, re- tobacco field said, remember what I said over your life. Called a preach of gospel and holy boldness and power all around the world for me. And I, I remember I told my dad that one night because this is the way I got discipled the first nine months after I was saved. My mom would cook dinner at night and then my dad would put in a different TD sermon. And then we would watch it together and he would pause it when I had questions. And that's the way I got discipled the first nine months after I was saved. Real talk. So I had like, I had this one, uh, is, is this cool? Are we still cool? We're just sharing stories at this point. Is okay. All right. I'm going to read a scripture in just a moment, but it seems like this is going. Okay. Um, But listen, I thought every church was like the Potter's House outside of my little country community because I'd never gone to church anywhere but my little country community. And we were Holiness Pentecostal, so what you wore to church was a suit. But then I watched Potter's House, you know, T.D. Jakes, DVDs, and he would always wear like a three-piece with a duster jacket and some like gator kicks. And so I was thinking, listen, in order to be a real preacher, I'm going to have to go find an outfit like that. And then my parents had gifted me a a, a round-trip ticket for my graduation from high school to any domestic location I wanted to go to, but I never used it because I was, you know, addicted to drugs and stuff. And so I said, Lord, um, I think I'd like to use that ticket. Uh, you know, to go to the Potter's house in Dallas, Texas. And um, so I told my dad that. And my dad said, okay, yeah, you can do that. So I went and bought myself a three-piece suit. It was all white with the shadow stripe. And then I got some Stacy Adams shoes and it was a duster jacket. And I slicked my hair back, man. I went to the barber. I cleaned up my mustache and everything. And I went to the Potter's house. I was like, man, we about to have some church, man. We about to have some church up in here right now. And that's how it went, I swear to you, that's how it went. I even bought a little towel and everything. I was like, man, we about to have some church. I didn't realize that not all churches were like the Potter's house in Dallas, Texas, until like, I don't know, like two years after I was saved. I wore that duster jacket everywhere. And then finally one of my friends flew me aside. I was like, bro, you know, you don't always have to wear that three piece. <laughs> These are all true stories, guys. So, <laughs> all true stories. See, a big part of my story is here connected with you guys here in Dallas. Yes, sir. Which is so weird, so unusual, so crazy, but you know, I know that God doesn't, there's no accidents with God, right? Yeah. There's no accidents with God. Within a week after I got saved, I did the three things that I thought were normal Christianity. You ready for them? Pray. I realize that's not normal. Fast, I now realize that's not normal. And read the Bible. I now realize none of these three things are normal. But within 48 hours, I was doing these three things. I didn't know how to study the Bible. I didn't know how to pray, and I didn't know how to fast, but I just read in the Bible that they did these things, so I did them. I was immediately and completely delivered of every single condition that I had prior to my salvation. I'm telling you, I came off of drugs. No treatment program, cold turkey, no tremors, no withdrawals, nothing. Off of cocaine, off of heroin, off of meth, off of weed, off of pills. I'm talking 10 volumes a day. I'm t- I mean, everything came off of it. Uh, sex addiction, no more pornography addiction, completely delivered, no desire for it, no drive. No, I mean, I'm talking completely transformed. The way I dress changed, the way I talk changed, the way I thought changed. Everything about me changed. In, in one moment of meeting Jesus. And that was 16 years ago in January, and I've been doing this ever since. I've never had another job. I've been in vo- full-time vocational preaching ministry ever since the day I got saved. And when I got saved and I went home and I watched the T.D. Jakes DVDs with my parents, I posted on MySpace that I got saved, and... <laughs> That's how I started preaching. I ain't gonna lie to you. The churches in the hood where I used to deal crack, we're like, if God can save you, bro, God can save anybody. You gotta come talk to our youth group. And that's how I started preaching. And I went in and I plagiarized the TD Jake sermon. And I just preached a TD Jake's message in my three piece suit. And I mean, I even put in things like get loud right here, cry right here, get emotional right here, bring it down right here, take your jacket off right here. Oh, we about to have some church in here, with the jacket. And I had the hanky. <laughs> oh, get ready, get ready, get ready. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? <laughs> you know, what's crazy, all the drug dealers came. Like, you should have saw the parking lot, man. Look like a strip club. Like, I'm talking like... That was too much, that was crossing the line. Um, My bad, I forgot to give a disclaimer. This is gonna be a rated R message for real. Oh, so that's when y'all gonna get quiet. Man, you had the Impala SSs coming through on the 26s with the flip-flop paint. And the crack dealer's getting saved, bringing the crack to the altar bringing the jewelry to the altar. I don't know what else to give, but here's what I got to give God. Here's my stacks of cash. I'm going to put that on the altar. And people just started getting saved. And, that, and that's what I've been doing ever since. So should we read the Bible now? That was a long introduction, Pastor Michael. Oh, <laughs> it's the zeal water. Hallelujah. Um. Oh, Jesus. Let's just pray real quick. All right. Because I can feel it's about to get saucy. If we don't get into the word, we're going to, well, it can still get saucy. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter four. Let's just pray as you guys open in your Bibles to Matthew chapter four. I'm going to make it to verse 18. I'm going to read through verse 22 and we're going to talk about, um, the great invitation. Father, we just ask that you would take your delight within our souls and within this atmosphere, God. We ask for a cloud of your glory to be stirred in this house tonight like the pool of Bethesda. So much so that every single person in the room and every single person that is watching online will feel called into the commissioning of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, I ask that you would reach through the camera lens, that you would grab hold of people's hearts, and that you would breathe life back into that thing, Lord. Cause it to beat again with passion and with zeal after your face, after your presence, after prayer, after fasting, after the Bible, God. We are here for the real thing. We want you. We want the real Jesus. We want the real Holy Ghost. We want the real Father. Father, we want heaven for real, for real, for real. We didn't come here to play games. We didn't come here to play church. We didn't come here to play any kind of games, any kind of games, no cultural games, no fame games, no influence games. We're not here for Instagram. We're here for the man, Christ Jesus and Jesus only. Amen. Man, y'all, I watched my parents' generation wrestle with this thing called the uh, prosperity gospel. Y'all remember that doctrine of demons? (laughs) Y'all remember that? It's basically said you are as anointed as you are rich. Remember that? Or you are as favored as you are wealthy. And I, I remember watching my parents' generation struggle with that. We don't struggle with that so much. This generation, we don't struggle with the uh, prosperity gospel. We struggle with the popularity gospel. Which basically says you are as anointed as you are famous. You are as valuable as you are influential. Listen, I don't know who I'm preaching to to get started here, but just because you don't have a K behind the follower count and in your Instagram profile does not mean you're not anointed enough to do every single thing that God has called you to do. Yeah. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. <laughs> verse 18. Oh, no, let's start with verse 17 because it's so good. So good. Verse 17, Matthew 4 it says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Y'all read that part. You mean to tell me that Jesus kicked off his preaching ministry with a sermon the length of a tweet? I love that about Jesus. Jesus did not come to give us a presentation of the gospel. He came to show us a demonstration of the gospel and what heaven can do. I'm sure you guys have heard this, like Papa Bill said this before, like Jesus did not show us, come to earth to show us what God can do. He came to earth to show us what man could do in right relationship with God. So he says, repent. What does repent mean? Change your mind. Change the way that you think or else you're going to miss the closest thing to you. The kingdom of heaven is here. So Jesus comes preaching. And in verse 18, you know, the story shifts here. Verse 18, it says, While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I want to talk to some fishermen tonight. I want to talk to some fishermen. Listen, something that I want you to notice about Jesus, which is so awesome, is that the disciples didn't find Jesus. Jesus found the disciples. I mean, you got to notice this because this is the origin story of your discipleship. Your discipleship started by God having a deep desire for you, not you having a deep desire for him. You have to understand that the origin story of your discipleship is that you are desired by God. I know some of us believe that we are hungry for God, but the truth is God is hungry for you. The only reason you're hungry for him is because he's in your orbit, man, like he's up in your proximity and you are feeling what's happening in his spirit. You're saying, oh, I'm hungry for God. No, God just came near you, my friend. And he is so hungry for you. He is walking the shoreline of your life saying, oh, look at that fisherman. I want him. I want her. Oh, I I, got to have him. I love him so much. And some of us, we feel like fishermen, I think. You know, we're just going through our mundane. Like we're living out our average, regular, nine to five, you know, normal life, as we might call it. And yet Jesus is walking the shoreline of your normalcy tonight. Some of you guys came in here and you're like, man, I just came to see what this whole upper room thing was all about. So I stood in line and I came to church to get a glimpse of what God was doing in this house. Listen, Jesus is walking the shoreline of your life tonight and he is about to call you into an adventure that is absolutely unbelievable. That's absolutely undeniable and so much bigger than anything you ever thought possible for your own life. You know why? Because he is hungry for you. He wants you so much more than you want him. What would it be like if we just tapped into that hunger and stopped relying on our own strength to be hungry for him? We just said, Lord, put the hunger that you have for me within me for you. I'm going to live off that hunger. Oh, that's the gospel, isn't it? That's grace right there. And so he says to them in verse 19, he said, and he said to them, you guys say this part with me, the red letters. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now catch this. Verse 20, I love this word. Immediately. No, you don't have to read that part. But like, immediately. This is the, yes. Yeah. Immediately. This is the right response to Jesus. Notice that the Bible didn't say, Slowly. Come on. The following week. The next month. After they thought about it for a little bit and they called everybody on their favorites list to make sure that it was wisdom and consulted with their bank account to ensure that they had enough to say yes to Jesus. No, the Bible says immediately. Man, it takes some faith to respond immediately. Hey, listen, when God has spoken, you don't need a consultation with anybody. Just immediately respond. Hold on, wait, you want me? I got go to let go of these nets. Verse 19 says, immediately they left their nets. What safety nets do you need to leave behind tonight? Hey, let me ask you, let me talk to you for a second. What in the world are you holding on to as your plan B? Hey, if this whole following Jesus thing doesn't work out the way I'd like it to. Uh, I'm getting in your stuff now. I'm a, I'll go back to doing this. Why do you think that when Jesus gave the message about what we just remembered this evening through the receiving of communion. You're going to drink my blood and eat my body. All those people turned around because they had not yet dropped their safety nets. The people who had dropped their safety nets looked at Jesus and said, man, this is a hard sermon, but where do we have to go? We don't have any more safety nets left. It's easy to turn around when you haven't burned the ships. But I want to talk to some fishermen that were like, man, this is my income right here immediately. Yo, this is my 401k right here. Immediately. Yo, this is that relationship with that girl I know I ain't supposed to have anyway. Immediately. I'm pausing for impact. Yo, this is that relationship with that boy that keeps sliding into my DMs like at 1230, like you up. now? immediately. That's getting too real. Yeah, praying for you. Yeah, I'm up. I'm just Immediately! <laughs> You guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an immediate response because that's the type of response that he is worthy of. Immediately, they dropped their nets and they followed them, followed him. And then going on from there, he saw two other brothers, one named James, one named John, in the boat with their dad. And they were mending their nets. And then he called them. And what does verse 22 say again repeatedly to us? Oh, my gosh. There it is again. Immediately, they left the boat and, get this, their father. And they followed him. And listen, I I mean, I don't have time to get into that. That's a different sermon. But I know what Jesus said. Anybody who has left home or farm or mother or father, or family, or anything that is precious to them behind to follow after me, they will have a reward both in this life and in the one to come. And I would rather have God's reward than man's. Whenever God asks me to get up out of my boat and drop off my safety nets, I want my heart to respond immediately with yes. 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 Man, I sense the hunger that you have for me, God. I am hungry for you too. Could this be the mystical prophet from Galilee walking the shoreline of my life that has somehow decided to desire me? A mundane, average, everyday, grew up in the country, in the sticks of West Kentucky type of fisherman. Are you serious? You want me? Yeah, I want you. I want you to go all around the world. I want you to preach the gospel and prophesy with holy boldness and power. You want me? God, hold on. Wait, I don't think you know I'm from Sacramento, population 600. I want you. Pastor Michael said it tonight. It's the foolish things that God will use to confound the wise. God picked me up like a paintbrush. And he's like painting a masterpiece through my life, in my opinion, because I thought I would be dead by now. And yet he picked me up. You know, I moved to Texas for a while. Austin, hook them horns. And you know, I was there for a little bit. And then I ended up moving to Africa and I lived in Mozambique with Mama Heidi Baker. And then like the Lord blessed me and possessed me and sent me out and then I moved to India and I lived there for five years. And in five years, I went after rescuing kids from human trafficking, child slavery and prostitution. And I'm here to tell you, we rescued over 400 kids from human trafficking, child slavery and prostitution. We set up eight different houses for orphan children. We started a school for untouchables. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but you know what I said? Immediately, yes. Listen, your preparation is not required to be used by God, but your obedience is. You may not always feel qualified, but you can always be dependent. You say immediately, yes, God. You know, you can change the world with the three-letter word. Yes. Man, I've given you a lot in like 35 minutes already. I pro- when do I need to finish? Pastor Mark, when do I finish? Soon? Five minutes? No, no, you, you stop me. Seriously. You know I'm a pastor too. I'm not an itinerant, so I get it. Because sometimes we're like, yeah, yeah, you're good. But like, bro, you should have been done like five minutes ago. These people got to go home. They got crockpots on. Um, <laughs> all right, let me, get a, let me get a little zip of the zeal, and then we're going to finish. <laughs> Joel has rubbed off on me. I've received an impartation. Um, okay. So I want you to notice three things real quick. Number one is Jesus says, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. me. Second thing Jesus says is, and I will make you. Everybody say, and I will make you. you. And the third thing Jesus says is fishers of men. Everybody say, fishers of men. men. So number one is follow me. You know what that is? Everybody say intimacy. Intimacy. The very first invitation that you have received from the Lord Jesus is to have real, authentic, unfiltered intimacy with God himself. That's why Jesus has come and you cannot forget it. And I know you won't because you're upper room. But listen, do not stop stirring yourself up to be hungry to actually see God. I'm not talking about sending a man to see God on your behalf and coming back and telling you what he said. That's what the Israelites did with Moses in the Old Testament. And unfortunately, the church is still doing it today. Hey, pastor, go up the mountain and come back down on Sunday morning and feed me and tell me what it is that the Lord said. But that's breaking the heart of Jesus because he's invited all of us up the mountain. He said, I want to have intimacy with everybody. Come on, guys. When are we going to stop outsourcing our own invitation to have intimacy with God for ourselves? You can't outsource your invitation to be intimate with God to your pastors. You've got to go get some for yourself. You've got to drop your own safety nets. Pastor Michael, Pastor Larissa cannot drop your nets for you. You have to drop them. And you have to have intimacy with God. Listen, I was upstairs just a month after I was saved reading the Bible chronologically because I had no clue how to study. And I came to Exodus chapter 33 and I said, "Okay, if Moses saw you, God, then I want to see you. This is going to be the pursuit of my life. I want you to step out of eternity into time. I want to look at you like I look at myself in the mirror. I want to see you. I want to touch you. I want to smell you. I want to be connected to you. I want to embrace you. I want to look you in the face. I want to gaze at your beauty. I want you to transform me. I'm going to have this encounter. I know it's possible. Enoch had this encounter. Moses had this encounter. They live under an inferior covenant. If they get that under an inferior covenant, then what am I going to get under a superior covenant? Come on, Lord. I want to see you. And... I remember there were nights that I was so sure that God was gonna show up in my bedroom, I'd turn on all the lights, I would turn on the bathroom fan, I'd turn on the TV, the radio, I'd start a CD player. I was like, if he comes, I'm gonna die. (laughs) Anybody else ever feel like that? Oh, it's safe in a corporate gathering. Let me tell you, you get off by yourself somewhere and heaven fills the room, you're gonna figure out how small you are real fast. You're big. I'm small. You're holy. I'm kind of sinful sometimes. And it humbles you, doesn't it? Because when you have an encounter, you become humble. You become like Jesus by meeting with Jesus. When a Christian becomes arrogant, all they're doing is they're revealing that it's been a while since their last encounter. Oh, it's been too long since you've seen him. You're getting a little too big for your britches. It's been a little bit too long since you spent some time with them. That ego seems to be showing off a little bit. Hey, selfie. Hey. Check me out, bro. You need intimacy. You are too impressed with yourself. Everybody say intimacy. Listen, I'm still in the pursuit. I want to see God. I want to see God like I'm seeing you. I've gotten close every now and then. I ain't gonna lie to you, I've I've had some close encounters. There's been some times when the Lord has filled the room in such a way that I was like, yeah, if he's gonna show up, I'm gonna die. You know what's amazing to me is every single time in the Bible that an angel shows up to a man, they fall on the ground like a dead man. But any time in the Bible that an angel shows up to a woman, they're like, here I am, Lord, so be it unto me, according to your word. I don't know what it is about women. But my God, we've got some things to learn from the women of God. I don't know what it is about your boldness for encounter, but you need to lay hands on the men in the room, because we need it. Mary, a teenage, unwed, pregnant, 16-year-old. Here I am, Lord. And then you've got the disciples that are shuddering in their boat, like, Jesus, get out of here. I'm going to die. I know, I know this is weird, but I'm just going to say it real quick, and I'm to move to point two. But there were times I was praying in my dad's church all by myself because that's what I did. I didn't have a job. that My job was prayer, you know, and then I got to preach at the youth groups in the hood. And I remember one time I was lifting my hands, and I was saying this. I want to see you. This has been my prayer for 16 years. You guys were singing it tonight. I wanted to preach on it so bad, but I felt like it was, should be the great invitation. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you, Jesus. I want to see you. I want to see you. I, I, I got to see you. I must see you. I must see you. I must see you. I'm more hungry for you than I am for my next breath. I'm more hungry for you than I am for bread. I'll push away the plate till I see you. I ain't going to eat till I see you. I ain't going to drink water till I see you. I mean I remember at 21 I was praying all kinds of crazy stuff. I ain't going to do nothing till I see you. You know what I'm saying? And I remember one time turning around. I felt heaven come in the room. I got the glory goosebumps. I looked right there. There was an angel standing right there. And I saw him just like or her or whatever. I don't know. It's not They're genderless, I guess. Uh, and, like, and, there, and it was standing right here in the second room. And it was staring at me with so much boldness. I'm telling you, it was like looking a hole through me. And as soon as I blinked, it disappeared. Because it could tell that I could see it. Now, I know this is weird, but I can preach it here because this is Upper Room. And I ran to it because David Hogan told me one time that whatever scares you, sprint to it. You all know who David Hogan is? And that's one of my other spiritual fathers. Holy Ghost, if you've ever heard him preach. And so I was like, oh. And I know this is weird. Everybody say it's weird. So you've got a disclaimer. And the whole pew was embedded with gold dust. <laughs> Three pews were completely embedded with gold dust. You could put your hand in it. There was so much gold dust all over you. I got videos of it, actually. And, I, and then my friends came the following night, and they're from Iris, so we were doing fire tunnels and stuff. And, uh, and I said, hey, I had this angelic encounter. There's an angel standing right here. Go and look where the gold dust is. They said, oh, let's go and look. And so I looked down, and then there were 12 stones. Of white topaz from Revelation chapter 24. It's weird. People started making fun of me for it. So I ended up giving all the stones away. I'm like, nobody believes me except God. I guess this should just be our secret, Lord. And he took me into years of encounters where I would see angels like I see you. And weird stuff was happening around me. I couldn't even tell people about it because they thought, you know, I was schizophrenic again. Oh, he must be having flashbacks of the ecstasy that he took. No, it's actually really God. I'm like seeing angels. Make us weird, Lord. Okay, point two. got to get to point two. got to be done. Number two is this. Discipleship. Everybody say discipleship. Because here's what Jesus said. If you will follow, follow me, it will guarantee that I will make you. But doesn't culture preach the opposite, that you have to make yourself? Buy this course for $4.99, three installments, $1,500. You'll be the best version of you. Well, Jesus said all you got to do is follow him in intimacy, and he will transform you into the person you're called to become. Now, that's the gospel right there. That should set somebody free tonight because I think there are a few people in the house that have been working so hard on themselves that they have neglected to let go of the safety nets and let Jesus disciple you on a personal level. He will personally, listen, Jesus takes supreme responsibility to transform you into the person he's called you to become. I'm going to try this out. So Jesus takes supreme responsibility to transform you into the person he's called you to become. If there's any fear, like, I'm not going to become the person that God has called me to. I'm not going to achieve the greatness that God has called me to. I'm not going to apprehend the great purpose that God has called me to. Can I remind you, your purpose is not a position. It's not an income bracket. It's not a particular style of car. It's not a C-suite in the office. It's not to be an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist. Your purpose is a person. His name is Jesus. If you will walk in intimacy with him, he will guarantee to transform you into the person you're called to become. You'll never never worry about anointing and intimacy. You'll never worry about a sermon. So long as you're walking intimate with Jesus, you'll never worry about a testimony. So long as you stick close to him, he will guarantee as long as your hands in his hand, he will guarantee that you end up exactly where you're supposed to be in life. Oh, it's exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm in intimacy. Listen, sons are not called to be successful. We're just called to be faithful. If you walk in intimacy, Jesus will guarantee you end up exactly where you're supposed to be. Right here is where I'm supposed to be. You know how I know? Because I'm in intimacy. And then then Jesus will transform you. But, you know, I I live in Nashville, so everybody's there to, like, get a record deal and hit it big. And so when you meet somebody new in the coffee shop, you never know what angle they're working. Especially now, because we got people who watch us on YouTube, too, which I think is weird. And they're like, hey, I want to lead worship at your church. Like, what you doing, bro? <laughs> oh, you hadn't dropped them nets yet. I can tell. <laughs> What's your motive, dude? You know what I love about Jesus? Is that he exposes his motive when he invites you to follow him. He doesn't dupe you. Oh, you got to get this. Jesus does not say, Oh, come to me. I'm the savior of the world. And then three years later, he's like, Gotcha. Now you're called to preach the gospel. You notice that? Jesus exposes his motives from the jump. He said, hey, follow me and I will transform you into what church? Hold on. What does that mean? Everybody say evangelism. Yeah. Ooh, that's a cuss word. Evangelism. Jesus said, listen, I know you're fishing, but I'm going to invite you into a relationship. It's going to be glorious. It's going to be great intimacy. And I'm going to put you on the potter's wood. I'm going to put my thumb in you, and I'm going to transform you, and you're going to become a disciple of mine. And eventually, pretty soon after, actually, it's not going to take forever. You're going to become... An evangelist. So I want you to weigh this decision before you drop those safety nets. Because if you're not interested in fishing for people with the same passion that you're fishing for fish, then stay on the boat, bro. It's so easy to get excited about the intimacy part, isn't it? I mean, it is exhilarating to get excited about the discipleship because we save ourselves a whole lot of cash working on ourselves. And I'm not saying don't work on yourself. But when we get to that evangelism part, it's like, hold on, wait a minute, I ain't called to that. Oh, this is going to be my finale, okay? This is, gonna be, this is the conclusion. I ain't called to that. I, I ain't called no evangelism. I ain't called no fishing for people. I ain't doing that. Do you think that they thought that they could follow Jesus and be lazy? No. They knew they couldn't because they understood how hard fishing was. So oftentimes they would toil throughout the entirety of the night and not catch one fish. Doesn't that feel like evangelism sometimes? Listen, they knew when Jesus stood on the shoreline and said, Hey, I want you to follow me because I'm going to transform you into a fisherman. They may have not understood everything that it meant to become a fisherman for men, but I guarantee that they did expect to put in the work because they knew how hard it was to be fishermen. They knew that I am not going to be an innocent bystander, simply watching Jesus work all the miracles. I am not going to be an anointed bench warmer, cheering him on as he raises the dead. I'm going to get in the game for God, lay hands upon people myself I'm going to proclaim and preach the gospel of Christ. They knew that. And 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 I, listen I'm a local church pastor and I hear it all the time. Well, I would preach the gospel. I would be an evangelist. I would be a missionary. But you know what? Like that's just not my personality. That's for the people in the front on the dance team. They're extroverted. Listen, being an evangelist is not about being extroverted. It's about being biblical. The reason y'all worship the way that you do is not because you're extroverted. It's because you're biblical. Do you think that Jesus was walking the shoreline with a Scantron test in his robe? Bro, take that test. I want to see if you have the right personality to follow me. Yo, this right. this right. Here's an Enneagram test. I just want you to see it. Oh, man, I got up in your business right there. Hey, here's a disc. Here's a disc. If you're not a high D, you, you definitely don't want to follow me. Oh, come on, let's shoot some excuses. For real, though, because, man, we buy into this like Christian horoscope stuff to such an extent that we're like, man, I don't even have a, I I don't even have the right personality to preach the gospel. When did Jesus ever consult with your personality before he anointed you to preach the gospel? He never did. He just gives you a new personality. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, your natural habitat is glory and your natural occupation is to fish for people. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm going to transform you, and I'm going to turn you into a fisherman. So if you're not being transformed, who's dropping the ball? It ain't Jesus. And if you're not fishing, then it begs the question, are you really following? Because Jesus said, if you follow, you'll end up a fisherman. Let's stand up. You know, I think that the enemies worked hard to divorce the office of the evangelist from the office of the prophet. And so we got a whole lot of prophets really mad at evangelists because they're not spending more time in the prayer closet. And they say things like, man, if you get off the street corner and into the prayer closet, then your evangelism will be more fruitful. And then we got evangel- evangelists that are mad at prophets. We're like, they're like, oh, man, if you get out of the prayer closet and get on the street corner, then your ministry would be a little bit more fruitful. But what I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing in the coming days is he is knitting together the hearts and the offices of the prophet and the evangelist yeah. so that we would understand how, this is how my, Mama Heidi taught us, you got to show before you go. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you got to get in the prayer closet and get saturated and soaked and filled up with everything that you need out on the street corner. So I just want to pray and declare that there's going to be upper rooms in every room that you guys inhabit. Whether it's a university, whether it's a boardroom, whether it's an executive room, whether it's a dorm room, a dentist's office, it doesn't matter. I just want to declare over you that you are those that Jesus has called to drop their nets get in the game for God, deal with all of your excuses, and say immediately tonight at 742 on the 12th of September, I said yes. And ain't no more. Just like me in that apartment.